so much worship. <laughs> Homies. Um, awesome, guys. I heard this morning was absolutely incredible. We had healings and miracles and signs and wonders. And isn't it amazing that the kingdom of God is being made manifest here in Glenridge? So we just ask you for more, Jesus. So tonight, we're going to jump straight in. <clears throat> I was chatting with Stan about what I was feeling as we're taking ground. We've been on this journey of Joshua for the whole year. And <clears throat> I've titled my preach today, Weapons of War Taking Ground. And I've decided to preach on this verse, which means so much to me. And I really feel like it's actually just an overflow of what Jesus has been journeying with me this year. And so I'm preaching on 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16 to 18, which is a well-known scripture, if you do have it, which says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And I love the Passion Translation scripture for this. It just says, Let joy be your continual feast. Make your life a prayer. And in the, midst of every being, in the midst of everything, be always giving thanks, for this is God's perfect plan for you in Christ Jesus. So my three points tonight are joy, an element of surprise, prayer, continual conversation, and thankfulness, the gateway to his presence. And I really believe that God is actually calling us as we contend for the more of God in this season, that actually, how do we bridge that gap between I'm frustrated because I'm in the now and I see the dreams and what God's called me to, I see the miracles, I see the signs and wonders, I want that, and I honestly believe that our weapons and strategy for war in this season are rejoicing in the Lord, joy, are praying always, living a lifestyle of prayer, and thankfulness. So we're going to jump into joy, which is one of my favorite things because, and I wore this polka dot shirt because I was like, I think it's pretty joyful. So we're going to have some fun tonight. <laughs> Good one there. So Carl van Klausvich was a Prussian um, guy who, who, he was a Russian guy who fought in the Prussian war in the 20th century against um, Napoleon. And he actually codified nine principles of war which actually guides our study of warfare and military leadership today. So Carl gives nine principles, and actually, interestingly enough, business leaders have copy and pasted these nine principles, and Steve Jobs, just while I was researching, actually attributes some of his great success to some of the nine principles that Carl came up with. We're not going to go into all nine. I'm not going to bore you with a history lesson, although Nick would absolutely love that because he loves history. But I'm going to choose two for rejoicing. And they are an element of surprise and simplicity. And you'll understand now. So, element of surprise, it says that we must strike the enemy in war at, at a given time, place, and manner in which they're completely unprepared. And I really feel like actually when we're facing adversity or challenges or difficult seasons in our lives, when we respond with joy, we throw the enemy completely off course. And it's like this element of surprise, and we're able to face our trials and our circumstances with actually on the winning foot, because our joy is not, um, is not grounded in earthly success or what earth looks like, but it's grounded in heaven's reality. The next one is simplicity, which says prepare clear, concise um, uh, tactics, 
and deliver your orders in such a way that there's an understanding across the board. And we all know the well-known rule that says to kiss. It's kiss. It says keep it simple, silly. And I honestly believe that God wants to keep like us to keep it simple. What is our what is the strategy in the season? How do I take ground? How do I maintain the revival? Not maintain, but um, sustain what God's doing? How do we contend for the more? How do we steward what God's giving us? We keep it simple. We rejoice in the Lord. We pray consistently and we give thanks in all circumstances. So keep it simple, silly. So the definition of joy, um, joy is actually found of rejoice. Joy is found in the Bible 182 times. And joy, uh, rejoice is a verb. It's to feel or, gra- or feel or show great delightment or excitement. It's a doing thing. Joy is used, um, I said, in the Bible. So four of my favorites is John 15, 11, which says, um, these things I've spoken to you so that my joy, Jesus is saying, it's his joy in us. My joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Jesus didn't die so we can have half or partial joy or a third of a joy. He died so that we could experience the fullness of joy. Acts 13 verse 52 says, it's talking about the, the, the disciples and their great exploits. And it says, it ends the, the chapter with, and the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. You see, joy is an overflow of being in partnership with the Holy Spirit. We saw the Holy Spirit working this morning, and I honestly believe it's just an overflow. Signs and miracles and wonders are an overflow of us being with Jesus, being in communion with him. Romans 14, 17 says, for the kingdom of God, sorry, the kingdom of God is not a matter of, of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So when the kingdom of God is made manifest, how does it manifest itself? In joy, righteousness, and peace in the Holy Spirit. Joy is a fruit. Joy is the kingdom of God made manifest. So learning to have joy in every trial is actually one of the greatest weapons we possess. And I, I feel like God wants to release joy in this room tonight. Yeah. Joy is the greatest, one of the greatest weapons we possess. Joy allows us to stay in the field, in the fight, while allowing our faith to be tested and grown and matured. And as we expand our capacity and our, our, our ability to persevere, James 1 actually says, when we persevere, we shall lack nothing. As, you know, so when perseverance has run its course, we lack nothing. So joy is our weapon of warfare. We've been chatting about 2 Chronicles 20, Jehoshaphat, last week during the fast, and actually last week in the AM service, Drew facilitated such a beautiful time of worship and actually encouraged the congregation that we're gonna enter into this battle with singing and rejoicing and praising Jesus. And so just to give those people context, if you weren't here, um, Jehoshaphat is, I hope I'm saying it right, but he's, a, he's the king of Judah, and he gets, someone comes to him and says, people are coming to attack you. And the scripture says he gets so afraid, and his response is that he actually inquires of the Lord. And I love that, you know, are we a people, when we're afraid, we go straight to Jesus? Like, are we those people? Anyway, so... To cut the long story short, um, they, he gets the whole of Judah, the whole tribe to go before Jesus and go before the Lord, cause a nationwide fast, 
to inquire what they must do. And God gives them a specific strategy. He says, send the worshipers out ahead of the army. And as they go out, um, that you know, you, I'm going to win this war for you, basically. And it says, as they began to sing and praise, the Lord said ambush against the men blah, 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 who are invading Judah, and they were defeated. You see, we all know that well-known song, I'll praise before my breakthrough. But praise, rejoicing, worshiping God is actually the key to unlocking what God has for us. Joshua 6 verse 4, I love the scripture. Um, Helen spoke a few weeks back on the battle of Jericho. And so we, when the, the Israelites had crossed the river Jordan and now they had to get into Jericho, these massive walls were up and they were like, how on earth is this possible? And so Joshua goes to God and says, what must I do? And of course, God responds with another crazy strategy, just like he did to Jehoshaphat. And he says to them, I want you to walk around the walls of Jericho every day. And on the seventh day, walk around seven times and get your priests to blow trumpets and then give a loud shout. And what's interesting in Joshua is that the trumpets that they used were not in Numbers 10. They actually speak about trumpets um, that were used for the assembling of the saints and to give direction to the camp where they should go. And these trumpets were used often, but the trumpets used in the battle of Jericho were actually the trumpets used for ushering in the year of, the, of Jubilee. Isn't that amazing? That actually as they walked around Jericho, God said, I want you to, I want you to blow the trumpet of Jubilee. I want you to rejoice. I want you to sing praises. So I really believe that in this season, God is calling Glenridge, this household, to contend with joy, with rejoicing. I was just saying to Nick the other day, like we should be, and I said to Shaz, actually, we should be the happiest people on the planet because we're walking in communion with God and we know his plans and we know that he is always good. We know he's a good God. We know he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His promises never cease. So we should be happy, guys. We should be showing the world that life with Jesus is the best thing ever. <laughs> so if joy is a part of heaven, as Romans 14, 17 says, as I said earlier, um, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but joy, then our assignment is to bring, when, I, when our assignment is to bring heaven to earth, then our assignment in effect is actually we need to bring joy. We need to walk into our workplace and carry this fragrance of heaven which says, I will rejoice always. And isn't it amazing when you see a friend in, in difficult times and they still, they come to, you know that they're facing stuff or they're going through huge things in their life. You come to church and you see them worshiping God in complete surrender. It's a testimony. It's amazing. So joy is our weapon to engage heaven's promises in our life. I wrote my own definition of joy, which says, I've got it up there on the screen. The childlike awe, excitement and passion of partnering with God, seeing things, from, seeing things from our dad's perspective and relishing in the eager and exciting expectation that he's working for the good of all things. The Bible talks about, I love children, and I love that Cam came and shared his word today, and I love that the kids are playing with their cards on the mat because um, I just picture heaven and I, I'm like, if, G, if there's kids playing in front of Jesus, he wouldn't be like, please send your kids back to their seats. He'd be like, yes, this is the kingdom of God. But anyway, the Bible talks about the children leading us into the presence of God in Isaiah. 
Um, and Jesus teaches time and time again that unless we become like little children, not become childish, but become childlike, we won't inherit the kingdom of God. That's quite a staggering statement, right? So children actually teach us how we approach Jesus. Children teach us how to approach war, how to approach battle in my life. You see, it's impossible. God just spoke to me the other day. It's impossible to have true joy under a religious mindset because a religious mindset says that my joy is dependent on how well my circumstances are going. But family celebrates progress. Family celebrates that there's joy in the Lord, that he is my hope, that he is my portion, and he is my consistency. When Judah recently learned to walk about um, when he was 13 months, we were all in um, Judah's, for those of you who don't know, he's one years old, he's my, our little boy, and we were in his bedroom, and we were trying to like get, set the camera up because we had seen him do a few steps, and now we wanted to try to capture it on film as a parent does. And we had Malachi in the room, my oldest son, and we had Nick, my hubby, and me. And I was like, hey, come Judah, come Judah. And he would, he would try to take a few steps and then stumble. And I promise you, all three of us, including Malachi, were like cheering him on, clapping, clapping, clapping. And then he would get back up and we'd cheer him on again. And the, the point I'm trying to make is that I think Father God sees us like that. His pastures are wide. Um, he, he delights in faith and risk and, and just taking one little step of faith. You know, he doesn't, he's not this God who's like, oh, you fell down. What were you doing? I'm so disappointed. He's actually celebrating every step you take, whether it's a big one or a small one. When we know, when we realize that the Father delights in, in our faith and not perfection, we're better able to receive his joy as a son and daughter. So rejoice always. Make joy our continual feast. As we move into the more of God, let's be a, a people who continually sit at the table and feast on his goodness. So joy. God wants to, to, to release us into a greater joy today. And how do we enter his presence? Just Psalm 100 um, is my favorite psalm, and I can never get away with it, but he says, um, David's writing, and he says, Enter, enter the gates with thanksgiving and, and my courts with praise. And so how do we enter the presence of God? It's through thanksgiving and it's through praise, it's through rejoicing, it's through joy. So thankfulness is the gateway to his presence. I love the story of the Israelites and as we've been going through it. After, so after Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt, they, they actually started to forget the incredible signs and wonders that, that God had done for them, parting the Red Sea. And they actually weren't too happy with the calls Moses was making as their leader. They started to grumble. They started to complain, even though they had seen the supernatural hand of God. And they thought that the enemy was the reason they couldn't possess, um, they couldn't enter the promised land. But actually, I believe it was partly to do with their attitude and their, their the lack of thanksgiving that couldn't that they feel they failed to get into the promised land and they they wandered the wilderness for 40 years trying to learn this heart of thanksgiving so thanksgiving shifts our perspective thanksgiving creates kingdom culture within me and i believe that thanksgiving is the key to sustaining revival to sustaining the works of god in this in this time we need to remember what god has done and steward the testimonies of god well 
Thanksgiving positions our hearts to, to see God rightly, um, despite my circumstances. And I really believe that thankfulness, cultivating a heart of thanksgiving, actually paves way for the supernatural to, to come. This heart attitude paves the way for signs, miracles, and wonders. And I'm just going to pick out three stories from the New Testament, but we see that Jesus demonstrated this so well. Thanksgiving, just want to get it right, Thanksgiving precedes miracles. So there's a story of when Jesus raised Lazarus in John 11. Um, Lazarus was dead, and he had actually been in the tomb rotting for four days, so much so that when he asked somebody to move the stone away from the tomb, the guy was like, why do you want to do that? No, like, he, it, the body's been rotting, there's going to be so much odor. And um, Jesus says, roll the stone away. And he gets in there and he says, in John 11 verse 41, he says, Father, thank you that you have heard me. And then he actually says, Lazarus, come out. Isn't that amazing that, he, that Jesus actually stops, thanks Jesus that he hears, thanks God that he hears him, and then commands Lazarus to stand up and, um, and come alive. It is amazing. Then we all know the well-known story of the miracle of the feeding of 5,000. What happened before the miracle took place? Jesus gave thanks and then broke the, the, the bread. And as he gave thanks, they handed out the bread and multiplication happened. So thanksgiving is like the breeding ground for, um, for the miracles, for the supernatural. We've got to be a thankful people. And then one of my favorite um, examples that demon, Jesus demonstrated about thanksgiving was actually the healing of, le of the 10 lepers. So we can find this in Luke 17. So we come across this story where they had 10 lepers and Jesus heals them all. Isn't he such a gracious God? He heals all of these lepers. And then one leper, the, Sam the Samaritan who's a foreigner, comes back to Jesus and scripture says he actually falls at Jesus' feet in thanksgiving and praise and adoration to God. And Jesus responds and says, were they not, like he says, I've got it written down, we're not 10 cleansed, where are the nine? Was no one found to return to God except this foreigner? Rise and go your way for your faith has made you well. And when we look at the Greek word of this well, some translations use whole, your faith has made you whole, we see that this, this one leper who was healed didn't just receive physical healing, he received complete healing, salvation for himself. So thanksgiving precedes miracles. And I think it's key that as we move into the more of God and as we contend for the more of God that we cultivate our heart of thanksgiving. Thanksgiving will unlock stuff for us and I truly see this in my own life. As every time I approach God, I find things to be thankful for and I know sometimes it's hard if we're finding ourselves in a real place of difficulty but let's be childlike. If you can't find anything, be like, thank you that I have air in my lungs. You know, thank you that, thank you that, yeah, that I woke up on another day. Thank you for the sunshine. Um, we always pray with Malachi on the way to school and I said to him the other day, what do you want to thank God for? And he actually said, I want to thank Jesus for my church, mom. <laughs> but we need to thank God because Thanksgiving shifts our perspective. And Thanksgiving helps us to see God and see what he's doing and not focus on what he's not doing. Thankfulness, I actually really feel like it's actually a form of honor. So when Mar Nick and I got married about six and a half years ago, one of the best advice we ever got 
was thank each other in the little things and the big. Like make Thanksgiving a culture in your home. And that's been a value that we've tried to instill in our home all the time. Whether it's Nick washed the dishes, thank you for washing the dishes. <laughs> Thanks, babe, for washing the dishes tonight <laughs> when we get home. <laughs> One point. <laughs> um, but like the other day, I actually got home and I was like, oh, babe, why didn't you like clean up the kitchen? And why didn't you do this? And he was like, you didn't even see what I had already done for you. And it's, it's just such a good example of, and I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, thank you. Thank you for doing this. And I think sometimes with God, we can be like that. We can be like, why haven't you done this for me, God? I haven't seen this promise fulfilled. This is taking so long in my life. And Je like, if we just put our Thanksgiving lens on, we see what God is doing. We focus on the goodness of God. So Ephesians 6 says, honor your mother and father, which is the first commandment, with a promise. I love that scripture says that. It says, honor your mother and father, which is the first commandment, with a promise. What is the promise? The promise is that it may be well with you and you may, you may live long on the earth. Some translations say that you may be prosperous. So when we honor, the blessing actually comes back onto us. Who does it go well with? It goes well with you. Not that we honor out of an agenda to try to get a blessing, but just to create a, a, a heart of thanksgiving. Thanksgiving dismantles negative mindsets or prejudices or fears. And I have a story of a time I was in high school. I was in grade 10, and I had one particular teacher who I just never got on with. It was so weird because if you know me, I generally get on with most people. And this teacher and me did not see eye to eye. And I actually felt like there was a little bit of a spiritual thing. It was awful. He would name call me, he'd call me into the office and literally be like, you stupid idiot, what are you doing? Literally. And it really was really hard for me as a, a school going age girl. And um, I, I used to cry about it. And I, I remember the one night I got home and I was jumping into bed and crying to my mom and being like, it's just, I, you know, I hate, I hate school because I don't like this teacher. And she said to me, I want you to pray blessing over him until you see a change. Just start praying blessing. Start thanking Jesus for him until your, your lens changes with his name. So I started doing that from grade 10. Even though I didn't want to, I forced myself to try and, like, to, to see what God sees over this man and to, to celebrate what God has put in him and just to bless him. Even some days it was literally like God blessed him. As simple as that. And on my last, this is grade 10, two years later on my graduation day, on my last day of matric, I was about to leave. We had just had our official ceremony. We were closing up and about to go out and ring the bell. And to his bub, this man comes over to me and he says, I just want to apologize to you for, for how I've been to you, my behavior over you. And it was just like on the last day. And <laughs> no, but God back him and I haven't seen her. But anyway, Thanksgiving dismantles negative mindsets. It helps us to see people through Jesus' eyes. It helps us to get heaven's perspective. What is God saying over this person? Any, we need to thank him for the opportunity to grow and develop my character, whether it be an individual or a circumstance. 
Thanksgiving says, I'm no longer the victim, but I'm the victor because of Jesus. Did you guys get that? It's such a free tool. That because of Jesus, I'm not a victim, but I am the victor. He has assured victory. Thankfulness celebrates. It has a victorious mindset and it changes our lens. Thankfulness is a God-given strategy. It's given to us and Holy Spirit will help us and empower us to engage the promises of life. I honestly believe that Thanksgiving is a weapon for war in this season. As we see signs and wonders break out in our, in our meetings, as we see people, as we see God touch someone in our workplace or give us a word of knowledge for the school teacher or a child in our class, thankfulness is what's going to keep us. Thankfulness is, is how we steward what God is doing with us. It's the key to unlocking. It's, it's the key to unlocking miracles. In Psalm 100, says in the Message Bible, here I do have it, says, on your feet now, applaud God. Bring a gift of laughter. Sing yourselves into his presence. Know this, God is God and God God. He made us, we didn't make him. We're his people, his well-tended sheep. Enter with the password, thank you. Make yourselves at home, talking praise. Thank him, worship him, for God is sheer beauty, all generous in love, loyal always and and ever. Isn't that amazing that, that actually, how do we get into the presence? Often, you know, you, it's sometimes so hard to get into time with God when we have such a busy world going on and it's distracting and I've got my phone and I'm a million to-do lists. How do we start? Where do we start? I think it's just simple. Keep it simple, silly. Start with Thanksgiving. Start with just praising God for who He is and um, wait till we see heaven's perspective on our circumstances. So we've done um, rejoicing and thanksgiving, enter his courts with praise, enter his courts, gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. So now we're in his presence. (laughs) Prayer, Paul says, pray without ceasing. And the Passion Bible says, uh, make your your life a prayer. The most effective prayers come from a place of communion with God. Prayer is actually just an overflow of being with him. We should be abiding with Jesus constantly. Brother Lawrence is one of my favorite um, Catholic priests that I love to read his book over and over because it's so small, but it's on practicing the presence of God. How do I continually feast at his table? How do I make conversation with him all the time? And sometimes it's as simple as just shouting out, I love you, God, you know, in the middle of your day when you suddenly have a random thought. But... Prayer is also the assurance of the great exchange and what Jesus did for us at the cross. That prayer, what Jesus did on the cross, actually says that I can come anytime, anywhere, at any given place into the throne room because of what Jesus did for me. That he died at the cross to close the gap so that I can enter into his presence anytime, anywhere. He's omnipresent, Emmanuel, God with us. Hebrews 14 Um, says, I do have it. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yes, he did not sin. So then, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in times of need. 
when I studied in Stellenbosch a few years ago, um, and I loved it. Dr. Siang Hei Josh, thank you. Um, so anyway, I studied at Stellenbosch, and my dad was actually a part-time cameraman for Supersport. He was on the crew, and he did that on the weekends for some extra money, and also just because he loved it. He did really cool, great exploits. And of course, now me being in Stellenbosch, he would take every opportunity to say, I want to film a game in Newlands. So he would fly over to Cape Town, and I would always meet him because I got to score a free ticket to the game, the whatever was playing, the rugby game. And um, it was the best thing ever because of my dad being on the Supersport crew. I got to watch the game from the best position of the house. I got to sit sometimes on the field, literally, most of the time on the field next to his camera and watch the game. It was amazing. And then afterwards, we'd go and we'd feast and Supersport would put on a lovely dinner and pudding and grab whatever drink we want. And it was awesome. I got to hang out with my dad and get spoiled. It was, it was honestly a real treat. And so we did this quite a few times during the year. But I love this picture because it's such a representation of the kingdom of God and, and God. Because of my dad's qualification as a, as a cameraman, I got access to watch from the best seat of the house. And it's the same way with Jesus. Because of his qualification, I get access to the throne room and I get to pray from heaven's perspective. We have access to heaven's resources and see things from heaven's perspective because of the qualification of the cross of the qualification the cross of Christ gives me. We get heaven's perspective when we pray, when we hang out with our dad. Ephesians 2 verse 6, it's a well-known verse, we love it. It says, and God raised us up with Christ. And what did he do? He seated us in heaven, with Jesus in the heavenly realms. It's such a great picture. We are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Do you guys get how incredible this is? That we get to sit from a place of victory, knowing that heaven is championing me to see me, see victory over my circumstance. And when we enter the presence, we need to, we need to enter his courts with, with thanksgiving, gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. We, we thank him, we praise him, and then we pray from heaven's perspective into our situations. And he's gonna show us such cool things. He's gonna give you solutions for your business, the next strategy, the conversation you need to have that week, words of knowledge for your, your classmates. He's gonna give you really cool solutions when we hang out with our dad. And while I was preparing, I actually felt God be like, what room are you praying from? And I saw this house, and in this house was this room of despair, and there was this room of perfection, and there was this room of performance, and there was this room of hopelessness, and this room of defeat. And I felt him say, what room are you praying from? Are you praying from this room of perfection and striving, or are you praying from a throne room? And I really feel, well, I know, God wants us to be a people who come before him and pray and contend for heaven's solutions to be made manifest in our lives. We need presence-based perspective when we pray. We need to be the happiest people. We need to walk out of a time with God and be like, yes, this is so amazing. This week's going to be awesome because I've just hung out with my dad and he says this is going to happen and victory's assured. We start on the winning team. Like, that's amazing. We start on the winning team. 
I don't want to pray out of my opinions and I come before God. I don't want to pray and give him my opinions and like sometimes you can sense, I mean, he is a gracious God, so don't get me wrong. If you come to him with hopelessness, of course he's going to meet you where you're at. Um, but I don't want to come to him with my own opinion and how he, I think he should solve the matter. I want his opinion and his, and his perspective on the matter. And our childlike prayers are so powerful. See, our prayers don't need to be fancy or full of long, eloquent speech or full of even the Bible, although praying the Bible is the most amazing thing too. But sometimes I believe that actually the one-liner prayers are more effective than the fancy, long, eloquent paragraphs of prayer. That it's not like prayer is it's meant to be fun and full of joy. And yeah, I, I just feel like God wants us to contend and come before him and pray without ceasing with a heart of rejoicing over what he's done and holding fast to the testimonies of God. And so I believe it's important that we steward the testimonies of God while we remember what he's done. When we pray from our position in Christ, we collaborate with him to see his kingdom made manifest. Friends spend time together. I know that one of my best friends who's in New Zealand, we actually still Skype. We Skype, we voice note, we um, voice note more than WhatsApp. It's the easiest way to put a whole lot of information in at once. But we know each other's plans, dreams, hopes, aspirations. When we hang out with God, we should know, like, actually, what is God wanting to do? And he does choose to partner with us, and he does love our ideas too, just by the way. He loves our ideas. He made us. Um, prayer, um, sorry, prayer. Uh, Paul says, pray without ceasing. Pray relentlessly, pray consistently. Acts 12 verse 5 um, is a really cool story. Um, Peter was actually put in prison. And um, it actually says in Acts 12 verse 5, it says, constant prayers, it used the word constant, constant prayers was given to God by them, but was, given, was offered to God for him by the church. Let me say that again. Constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And what happens? As they were praying, an angel of the Lord appears in the prison and miraculously frees him from prison um, and breaks him free. And Peter eventually appears at the door knocking. And I honestly think we don't actually know when it's the last prayer before we see breakthrough happen. But we can't give up. You know, we can't stop asking God for the more because we don't actually know when it's the last prayer before we see the breakthrough. Or it's the last prayer before we see my mom healed. Or the last prayer before I'm going to get that job. So God, Paul says, pray without ceasing. Don't give up. Pray relentlessly. It's, this is quite a well-known um, metaphor, but I love it. And I don't know who it's from. But I don't know what I ate for breakfast last Tuesday um, morning. Or I don't know what I ate for breakfast last Thursday. But I know that it nourished me. I know that it fueled me and it gave me hope for the day. It gave me energy for the day. And it's the same when we come to God with our prayers. We just got to be persistent and relentless. Come before him constantly because he delights in a diligent heart. So prayer isn't meant then to be a burden, hard or difficult. We need to start with rejoicing and thanksgiving. And Jesus modeled this lifestyle of continual prayer really beautifully. In Luke 11, Jesus was actually praying. And it says that he came to a certain place, and when he had ceased, one of his disciples comes to him and says, Lord, teach me to pray like that. 
if you launch PPE to pray, that's what this church does. And it's amazing because these disciples spent morning, noon, and night with Jesus. They witnessed every miracle, every um, deliverance, every salvation, every healing. Yes, it wasn't the healing, the deliverance, the miracle that they wanted to be taught in. In fact, there's not one occasion that I can find um, in, in the Bible where the disciples asked to be taught in anything else but prayer. They saw this man live in complete surrender and utter dependence on the Father. And they said, Lord, teach me to pray. And I wonder what, like I do, I wonder what it was, what was it about Jesus that was so captivating that they were like, I want to pray like that man. Teach us to pray. Um, Charles Spurgeon, actually, he has a quote and he says, I'd rather teach, I'd rather teach one man to pray than ten men to preach. That's quite a staggering statement coming from arguably one of the most notorious preachers in history that he would rather teach one man to pray than ten preachers to, to preach. And I really believe it's because Charles, Charles Spurgeon saw that all gifting and ability and grace is, is born, is cultivated, matured, and empowered through a lifestyle of prayer, through a lifestyle of being in cons continual conversation with God. It's a life of abiding with him. I love the story of um, the the disciple whom Jesus loved. And I love it because there's a story of them at the Last Supper. And I just imagine it in my own way. But um, they were all at the Last Supper. And it says, Jesus was just saying, I, I'm, one of you here is going to betray me. And Simon Peter looked over at the, the disciple whom Jesus loved, the text says, and says, hey, you. <laughs> this is my own words. Hey, you, ask Jesus, who is this going to be that betrays you? Uh, like, in my mind, I'm like, Simon Peter said that because he knows that Jesus is going to tell that disciple the secrets of his heart because it's the disciple whom Jesus loved. And that disciple whom Jesus loved leaned back on Jesus' chest and said, who's going to betray you? And Jesus answered him, answered. And so we need to be in such close proximity to Jesus, leaning on his chest, finding out, like, that people are coming to us saying, Hey, what does your God say about this? What does your God say about that? He's calling us to be a generation of people because he loves us, because we are marked by his love. Who cares if we have faith to move nations? 1 Corinthians 13. Wisdom to build empires. Gifting to shape nations if we don't have love. Because love, 1 Corinthians 13 says God is love. So love, that presence, it, the reality is only found in communion with, with God. Um, Glenn Ridge has got this, this motto, which maybe Drew came up with, but it was, um, we need to be with Jesus. We did a series on it last year. Be with Jesus, be like Jesus, and do what Jesus is doing. And I think it's as simple as that. We're nearly done. So just in summary, I really believe God is calling this household to be a house of thanksgiving, of a house that, that continually rejoices in the Lord, and a house that is consistently praying. I love the fact that we meet every week, and I, I really, there's such momentum on it, because we're meeting relentlessly persistent, with persistence. God loves a diligent, the diligent heart. He loves a diligent heart. But I love the last part of 1, Thessalon 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 16. So Paul says, rejoice always, Pray without ceasing and give thanks in everything. And then he says, 
For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So you might be saying, what is the will of God for me? Often people say, what is the will of God for me? I don't know. Guys, it's, it's keep it simple, silly. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. Or what is the will of God for me in my unemployment? Just rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in everything. What is, the will of, what is the will of God for me in my sickness, in my disease? Rejoice always. Are you guys get, getting it? Like, honestly, what is the will of God? It's so simple. Let's just rejoice in Him. Let's pray always, and let's be a house of thanksgiving. So it's time to change our lens. Let's, um, our, lens our thanksgiving lens positions me to pray from heaven's perspective. Let's, let's let Psalm 100, which is, um, you know, enter his gates of thanksgiving. I've said it so many times, but let that be our war cry in this season. Let's engage with the promises of God through, thanks, through thanksgiving, through prayer, through rejoicing. Let's be a house who continually feasts on the goodness of God. And so with that, it's not a jam piece if you don't have decorations, right? <laughs> so... Yeah, I don't know how we're doing for time, but um, I love declarations, so just to catch some of you up, <laughs> declarations are so powerful. Genesis 1, what is the first miracle God ever did in the Bible? He said, let there be light, and what happened? There was light. God literally spoke the world into being through speaking it into being, and so many times in the New Testament, Jesus actually just speaks life into a situation. He says, Lazarus, come out. Um, he commands, he declares, and there's life in the power of our, and there's life in the power of the tongue. Scripture teaches us. Um, so we need to be a people that speak life. And I honestly believe we can set the course of our life with our words. And our words create worlds. And are we speaking life or are we speaking death? Let's be honest. Are we speaking life even over ourselves and our own circumstances? So, Fulfilling, not you feeling, but let's all stand up if that's okay. And I do. I actually wrote some declarations quickly before I came. Yeah. And they're on the screen. Yeah, I, th I think, I think that's this is incredibly powerful. Uh, what Jan was saying. I think there was a, a lining up of what happened in the worship and what she preached. But I, I think the question before we do the declarations, is. What room are you praying from? And, I, and I, I feel when we, before we do these declarations, we need to, I think for some of us, we need to make a, a prophetic statement and, and do those declarations from the right room. And I think for a lot of us, we, we're in a room of despair or we're a room of desperation or a room of God, if you don't come through, I'm dead, or a room of, of sorrow a room of brokenheartedness, a room of not enough, or whatever room that is. And I feel like there's a, a moment where we can actually come into the right room and then we can make those declarations. And, and I, love, I love doing prophetic acts, prophetic statements. And I think one of the things we can do is I want to invite you to leave the room that you've been in and choose prophetically and as a statement, a declaration, to come into the room of thanksgiving, and we're going to do those declarations from that room. So that's going to mean that you need to leave where you're seated 
And just as a prophetic statement, come to the front here. And, and what you're saying is, the room that I've been in, the room that I've, I've stayed in, the room that, that has been my home, the one that I normally moan and complain or try and live my Christian walk out of, I'm stepping out of that and I'm coming into this room of thanksgiving as a prophetic statement and then I'm going to read these declarations. So can I invite you, if you need to change rooms, come to the front right now. Come to the front as a prophetic statement. You need to say, I'm, I'm getting out of the room that I've been in. I want to change rooms. Don't be shy. 